Chapter 20 The Survivor Kalianera ran her fingers down her neck's smooth skin, knuckles brushing against soft, dark hair. Sometimes she could still feel the collar. She had again woken from her sleep, imagining a burden at her throat. No scars or marks indicated centuries of burying the band, but its icy sensation lingered. She withdrew her hand and pulled the blanket to her chin, but no further sleep came. What did she see when she closed her eyes? Her former master's burning rage, the collar falling from her neck as she breathed freely for the first time, the faces of the men she had corrupted, her bloody and naked body emerging from the darkness. There would be no sleep. Someone snored, the fire crackled, a faint wind persisted. Leaving her blanket and pack behind, she walked to the fire, the ground growing warmer on her bare feet as she neared it. A sleeper rustled. By the shape, it was Liam. When the others had inadvertently ostracized her, Liam had talked to her, telling her his story. It was difficult to tell if he was humble or unaware of his abilities, but the young man was strong. Can't sleep? asked a voice. Karis sat down. Can't remember the last time I slept well, said Kalianera. Karis didn't reply for a moment. You're brave, you know, said Karis. Really, you went against your very nature and at great cost. Karis was so different from Kalianera. Where she was tan and rugged, Karis was fair and delicate. Where she was wry and cynical, Karis always seemed compassionate and hopeful. One day, everything I had done and believed felt wrong, Kalianera said. Yet I often doubt if I should have left. I, I know you'd be better off without me, but since I've been in the Outland, I've been lonely. Kalianera had thought herself calloused, too cynical and hardened to need the company of others. She certainly did not like the idea of being vulnerable, yet she relaxed as she confided in Karis. I guess I've always been lonely. No matter my company, I can't ignore it like I did once. But I thought it would be easier. Doing the supposed right thing didn't change things as much as I thought it would. I was suddenly so uncertain. Kalianera sensed that Karis's look of compassion was not one of condescending pity, but rather true sympathy. It shamed Kalianera. After the fall, said Karis, I wanted to wrap up inside myself. I mean, I wanted to abandon responsibility and go die somewhere. I lost everything because I took orders from a liar, and I couldn't have back what I lost. The world has come and gone, the prophecies are over, and nothing but a small sliver of hope remains. I'm no warrior, but I fight anyway. I don't fight for the innocent. I fight for those like you, like us, really. It's those given a second chance who have the greatest potential to act. It was a peaceful thought, but almost too idealistic. After a quiet moment, Karis rubbed Kalinera's shoulder and then quietly left, returning to her blanket. Kalinera sat by the fire a little longer, 
clouds ushered by the unusual winds, moved in the distance. Lightning flickered in the desert night. Clouds would cover the sky once again by the morning. The campfire's embers burned low, hardly brighter than starlight. Calianero watched the fire die, and after a time, the sun rose. The clouds came again, promising a second rain, a rare phenomenon in Outland. Nathan rightly deemed it unnatural. In the first ghost town, char crept up every structure, leaving nothing but death in the gray dusk. The ash flitted upward, winding its way into the breeze until it dissipated into the gloom. A drizzle began, doing little to cleanse the black and smoldering pillars of buildings long given to the flames. The grave of a town extended from one end to the other, but no person or body could be found. Karis grew upset, and that regal face shed tears, something Calianera would never have imagined. The town had been called Levin. When next they arrived in Shima, Liam spoke little as if haunted by memories at which she could only guess. She learned a little of his unfortunate tenure there, regarding the false priest who could turn into a crocata and his little box. Unlike Levin, most of Shima's buildings stood intact except for the occasional broken door or a window. Other than the occasional blood smear, no evidence of humanity lingered save for the sweet, metallic, and acrid smell of decay. Calianera helped the others scavenge supplies before they settled in and stayed the night. Liam's obvious discomfort drove them away from the place early the next morning. Where did they all go? Calianera asked, her horse plodding alongside the others' camels. I don't think they left alive. Dorian said. From the smell of Shima, he might be right. It could be abominations, Kara said. If they had abominations, Kalinera said, they'd be out of control, crawling all over those towns, probably out here too. If not abominations, it's something else, said Dorian. Bronton's next, and I'm starting to suspect that you were right to suggest we go there. Bronton was the worst of all. Though the rain had been brief and the clouds receded, the somber canter of the weather remained. Calianera left her horse with the camels on the edge of town, and they walked among Bronton's smoldering ruin. Any ash not dampened by the earlier rain floated under the light wind, gray flecks drifting in the light of the sinking sun. Burned in black frames, of crumbling houses and stores hunched over the scorched desert ground. Dusk came. It felt colder as they walked among the ghostly main strip of town. The black remnants loomed in the growing darkness, and the smell of smoke reminded Calianera of things past. She ignored the memories. Looks like someone's been playing with matches again, she said. It wasn't funny, but she had to say something to manage her emotions. Sarcasm was her habitual mechanism. No one laughed. Dusk faded into night, the stars and moon casting a faint light. Dorian led the way, a blue flame glowing from his outstretched palm. Occasionally, one of the company would peer into a charred structure. There's nothing here, said Nathan. 
It's empty, just like Leven and Shima. This seems more desolate, Liam said. What happened to this place? It feels wrong. Kalianira put a hand on the hilt of her sword. You're right. Something is wrong, said Dorian. The ship at the end of the road was the most mysterious thing. Unlike everything else in the town, it was unburned. It sat half-burned in the sand, cocked to one side, a long trench behind it running into the darkness. It was as if it had sailed the sands to settle here and be left behind. Dorian was right. Something felt wrong. The burnt smell had another scent to it. Was it decay? The rustling sound from among the town broke the silence. Kalianira drew her sword with the others. Nathan motioned for them to group together. They clustered with their backs to the ship. Dorian stood, his stone eyes flicking about the remains, searching. Though she expected Liam to fall back behind the protection of the others, he stood at the forefront, blade ready. The silhouettes of the buildings ran jagged below the starry sky. Slate ash flakes glided in the acrid air and silence perpetuated the tension. A pale white thing, a glimpse of a ghost, darted between buildings. Something cried out in the night, a terrible howl reverberating throughout the darkness. Then they came. It thumped behind them, followed by more jumping from the ship. They poured out of alleys, rushing on the company. The things ran, pasty white with blue and black veins spidering around their uncovered bodies, wounds exposing organs. Some had burns or rotten black scars running along their skin. They lacked genitals, androgynous abominations coming upon them. The tiger attacked first, Nathan slashing wildly at the oncoming creatures. Dorian stabbed and hacked with his sword, wielding flame at intervals. Kalianira took on those that had jumped from the ship. One was hairless and missing an eye, fiercely slashing a serrated bone. She stepped back, evading the weapon, bringing her sword down. Her blade drove into the shoulder and through the chest with sickening ease. The revenant fell to the ground in a pile of dead organs and black blood. She pivoted and downed two others with blows from her blade. More hands reached out and she cut at them. Weapons of bone shattered under her blade. Howls of bloodlust and anger came at her. There was a moment of respite before the next wave. Breathing hard, she propped up on her knees with hands splattered by dark red blood. A few yards away, the tiger spilled the intestines of a remaining creature. Liam's sword pierced the ribcage of another. A breath later, the abominations burst forth again in horrifying numbers, and she emerged from her rest, striking them down. The blood and bodies turned the ground to mud. She swung her sword, missing her target. Under the strike's momentum, she slipped, falling amongst the rot and entrails. Then they were upon her. Cold hands groped her legs and arms and pulled her hair. She tried to scream, but her breath caught. They fought to tear at her. Something bit her leg and her shriek came. She kicked, its teeth scraping as it jerked back. She would not be overtaken, not like this, but their grips held her. A foot slammed into her sword hand, the mud softening the impact, but excruciating all the same. 
Among the pain, the sickening smell, and the groping, she could only think that she was stronger than this. One broke the circle of tugging and leapt on top of her. Its knee jabbed into her groin and she screamed again. It closed its undead fingers on her neck and leaned in with exposed, sharp teeth hissing. She looked into its black eyes and knew fear. A blade separated its head. It rolled onto her chest. The groping hands loosened. She fought free, pushing the dead thing off. Kara spun and slashed, striking the abominations down with fierce grace. Kalianir recovered her sword hand aching, but she fought on back to back with Karis. When it was over, Kalianira's breathing softened, her adrenaline fading to pain and exhaustion. She stumbled among the bodies and joined the others away from the carnage. She trembled from fatigue as she sat in the dirt next to Liam. The black blood that covered him shocked her, but she knew she was also tarred by the gore. Liam sat straight-backed as if trying to remain strong, but the young man shook. She put a comforting hand on his shoulder, but he continued to stare, jaw clenched. Liam was likely the only person present who had no idea of what he had just faced. Abominations, she said, calling them by the best translation of the word she dared not utter. Liam didn't look to her, but she knew he listened. Up till Jacob's war, they hadn't been used for thousands of years. No one has been that desperate. They're tedious to harvest, impossible to control, and morbid. They didn't stop Jacob from giving them a try 200 years ago, and the results were catastrophic. He soon learned that nothing he could do would control them, and much of what was lost is because of it. We should have seen this coming, Nathan said, returned to human form. Like the others, his injuries appeared minimal compared to Kalianera. Karis came to her and began to tend to the bite on her leg. You don't want an infection, she said. There are a few pains worse. I suspected abominations, said Dorian, but never thought that they'd be capable of a surprise attack. Most foul, said Nathan. Should we check for more? I don't relish the thought of dealing with these things any more than we have to, said Dorian. But he had to harvest them somewhere. Callie, you're injured. You look a bit dazed, Liam. You two want to stay here? She nodded, and Liam did as well. If I may stay as well, Kara said, I will see to their wounds. Liam sat quietly, and Karis continued to tend Kalianira's wound. Karis dressed the shallow bite with ease before mending Kalianir's aching hand. Dorian and Nathan returned a few minutes later. You should see this, said Dorian. The shack was the only thing other than the ship left unburned. Inside, a metal hatch took up the small floor space. What do you think is in there? asked Kalianira. I'm almost sure it's where they harvested those things, said Dorian. But I have a feeling Jacob and the others are far from here. There's only one way to find out, said Nathan, gripping the handle. He looked to see if anyone would stop him. Kalianera stepped back behind Dorian, sword at the ready, but too exhausted to be much use in another fight. 
Nathan opened the hatch to a dark descent down concrete stairs. Kalianira went last, following Dorian's blue light down the narrow stairwell. Soon the blue light grew as the stairs ended and the corridor opened into a giant cavern. The light did not belong to Dorian. Empty tanks glowing cerulean stretched throughout the cavern with a single path between them. As Kalianera followed the others down the pathway, she lost count of the tanks around the 18th row, distracted by the black and twisted thrown at the end. This is Raven's work, said Nathan. Over here, Karis called. She had gone beyond the malformed throne and found a door, old and wooden, a faint light running along the crack at the bottom. A muffled, raspy female voice sang behind it. Dorian looked at the others and motioned for them to be silent and ready to fight. He kicked the door and it broke free, swinging open. A hiss came from the room and Dorian rushed in, sword first. A man lay chained to a stone table. The two grotesquely pale women hunched over him, straightened, and glared at the intruders before attacking. One jumped with a hiss and Dorian cut her down, dark blue blood spraying on the walls. Another lunged and he decapitated it with ease, head thudding to the concrete floor with an unusual squish. Abominations were not supposed to be sentient. Had she imagined the singing? They entered the room, stepping over the corpses. Those were not normal abominations, observed Karis. She was singing until we interrupted, said Nathan. Abominations don't talk. They don't think. Sure as hell don't sing. They don't, said Dorian. This is something different. This man's been tortured methodically. If Dorian guessed more, he didn't elaborate. Karis looked to the man on the table. As he took shallow, rapid breaths, his green eyes stared widely into nothing. Though shirtless, yellow sweat stained what clothes he wore, and from the smell he lay in his own excrement. Multiple wounds festered at his torso, some poorly stitched, others infectiously gaping. Poor soul, said Nathan. He's been down here for some time. I doubt he'll ever recover from this, Dorian said. I'm surprised the man's lasted this long. Is there anything you can do to ease his passing? He looked at Dakaris. Please, said Kalianera. Dorian looked at her, cocking his head, questioning. He can't die, she added weakly. This was what had brought her to Bronton, both the hope that this man on the table would either validate her decision to leave everything behind or confirm this was a farce. There might be hope for this one, said Karis, glancing at Kalianera. If this man is broken, said Dorian, it will mean serious trouble. When Nathan moved a finger in front of the man's face, his eyes followed. The man grunted as if trying to plea through motionless lips. She cringed at his sallow tone. Look, said Dorian, we don't have a way to get him to Mir, and even if we did, I doubt he'd survive the journey. He can ride with me, said Kalianera. What was she saying? She was going to share a saddle with a dying man who smelled of shit and death? I will tend to him, she added. And I will help, Kara said. 
While Calianera was prepared to undertake this task herself, she appreciated the aid and solidarity. I have to admit, Dorian, Nathan said, there's something about him. I say we give it a chance. I don't like it, Dorian said. But I suppose this is what we came here for. We need to get him cleaned up as much as we can before we leave town. When we searched the ship earlier, we found medical supplies that might be useful. You know where those are, Nathan. Will you grab them and anything else that's useful? Calianera, you'll need water to get him cleaned up. If I help, we can probably get enough for our camp and to fill our canteens. It took some time to unchain the man and carry him up the stairs. He was heavy with muscle and slippery from the sweat and blood. Calianera ran ahead and brought her horse over so they wouldn't have to carry the man all the way through the town. She led the horse near the ship, spread her blanket on the ground, and with help from Dorian and Nathan, laid the man on it. Karis began to see to the wounds while Nathan went to the ship to find anything useful. Liam offered to help, but Calianera could tell the whole thing had disturbed him and did not want to exacerbate it. She commissioned him to make a fire, figuring it would be an easy distraction. Dorian went to the other end of the ship, to the site of the battle. He began to pile the bodies a little farther away. It was not long before a cool blue flame arose, smoke trailing away on the wind, and Dorian returned. Once down, I've not known abominations to come back, he said, gesturing toward the now cremating corpses. But we can't risk it. Not when these are so different from what we know. He stood back and watched as Calianera and Karis tended to the man. His eyes were closed and Karis cleaned one of the many wounds. They broke his collarbone and these cuts were deliberately placed, Karis said. Callie, they tortured him. This may be bad. She looked to Karis. Dorian himself said, this is why we came here. I'll explain more as we go, but this man is why I gave up the life I had. We have to try. She helped Karis pull off the man's soiled clothes, revealing his maimed body. The women had tortured him in every way possible. After cleaning up most of the excrement off the man, they were tending his wounds when Nathan looked over the deck of the ship. I found some medical supplies, blankets, and a good bathtub. Nathan brought down the amenities and Dorian went to the well to get water. It was hard work, but when they were done, Calianera suggested that the others retire. You've all done enough. I can take care of the rest. Dorian joined Liam by the fire and together they heated some water for the tubs. Having found decent wood among the wreckage, a campfire blazed. Karis continued to help, though Calianera had gone through great lengths to let Karis go if she wanted. For a time, Nathan helped, and they worked well into the night. They warmed water and bathed him and dressed his wounds. Discarding Calianera's soiled blanket, they wrapped him in a fresh blanket taken from the ship, placing the man close to the fire. When Karis and Nathan went to bed, Calianera bathed herself. A single trip to the well was exhausting, and she took a cold bath, too tired to bother with warming the water. She finished tossing most of her clothes and donning her backup outfit. She did not join the others in sleep. Rather, she sat up next to the man, warming by the fire. Though still pale and feverish, shivering at times, he seemed to be resting more peace than before. She reached over 
and ran a hand through his hair. In the firelight, it was a dark red, almost auburn. Now cleaned up, he was handsome. She knew him, though he did not know her. Kalianera awoke to a moan in the night, heart beating as she searched for the coming abominations. Her heart continued to pound even after she realized that the sounds came from the man. She sat up and looked over at him. Beneath his sweating brow, his eyes moved with a new lucidity. Sword, he croaked. That got her attention. Drink some water, she said, putting the canteen to his lips. You still have it? she asked. After all this time, she thought that sword long lost. If nothing else, Jacob would have taken it with him. No, he said when he finished drinking. On ship, second cabin. He closed his eyes. She did not want to leave his side, nor did she like the idea of searching the ship at night. His remaining effects were likely gone altogether, yet her curiosity bettered her reservations and she stood, stretching as she eyed the vessel. It took a few moments to find and climb the rope ladder Nathan had used to mount the ship. Much like Dorian, she continued to produce a light to guide her. After admitting a soft amber flame in her hand, she surveyed the wooden deck of the vessel. Though Nathan claimed to have searched the ship well, she navigated with caution around the mast and down into the belly. It was a large ship with several living quarters. The second cabin was a simple room with a single bed, a nightstand, and an unlit lantern. She burned her light a little brighter. No sword. There was a pack which might belong to the man, so she shouldered it. Without success, she looked behind the door and dresser for any type of blade. It was only when she went through the trouble of peering under the bed that she found it. Her fingers felt the cold blade and careful not to cut herself. She worked her hand down to the hilt. She gripped and dragged the immense sword from under the bed. Though not heavy, it was cumbersome due to its length. A harness accompanied it, made to strap it to one's back. When she got back to the deck, she attempted a better look at the blade. She knew the man had been in Jacob's company, so Jacob was aware of the blade, and he wouldn't leave without such a treasure in his possession. Did Jacob really not think to look under the bed? A startling figure interrupted her inspection. Running about at night? Dorian asked. Walking, really, she said. You know, casual evening stroll. With a big sword. A girl can't resist. She realized she must look suspicious. It's not mine. The man woke for a moment and spoke of it. Here, you hold on to it. She laid it on the ground, hoping the gesture would prove her innocence. He approached with caution and picked it up. I suppose it doesn't make a difference, he said, looking over the blade. After all, you have a sword of your own. It's all the same. I would like to take a closer look at it. Sure, she said, though she wanted a closer look too. If Dorian knew its origins, he may suspect her even more. He started to walk away. Dorian, she said, stopping him. He turned. I'm sorry for your home, for Japar, for Sony and Abriel, for all of it. He gave a short nod and jumped from the side of the ship. 
She had known Dorian a long time, having been at odds with him more than once. She could not blame him for his mistrust, but things had changed. Though he could not know now, she hoped he would come to learn. He was a good man and might even be able to help her, give her some direction. She took the rope ladder down. Back at the camp, she went to tell the man that the sword was safe, but he slept. She searched the pack, relieved to find clothes. She had not been looking forward to sharing a horse with a sick man wearing nothing more than a blanket. She also discovered a bottle of a brown liquid, which upon smelling she found to be rum. She took a gulp and set it aside. Other than a blanket, she discovered little else. Though Nathan had recovered more blankets from the ship, she decided to use the one from the man's pack. It smelled well used, but pleasant. She laid with her back to the man, feeling his occasional shiver, hoping she was doing the right thing. As the sun peered over the horizon, Kalyanera awoke from a fitful sleep. Karis was the only other person awake, and she was attending to the man. Kalyanera wet her throat, emptied her bladder, and returned to help Karis. He's already looking better, faster than I would expect, Karis said quietly. Pigment is returning. The wounds seem to be healing, and his fever should break soon. Travel will be hard on him. What he really needs is rest. I wouldn't have said anything so optimistic last night, but he possesses an unexpected resilience. In the rising sun, Kalyanera took her first real look at him. He was muscular, and in addition to his recent wounds, seemed to bear multiple older scars. His thick auburn hair was not long, but wavy and a little wild, giving way to a lighter-colored beard. Karis placed the blanket back over him. Now, she said, we need to figure out the situation with you two sharing a horse. The man stirred. Sword, he said in a dry voice. Karis gave him water. We have it, Kalyanera said. It's safe. The man fell back out of consciousness. Karis gave her a puzzled look. Last night, Kalyanera said, he did the same thing and gave a cabin number of the ship. I found his pack and sword there. She showed Karis the things except the sword, explaining that she'd given it to Dorian. They fit the man with his extra set of clothes and then repacked Kalyanera's horse, redistributing some of her supplies among the camels. This is going to be slow no matter what. Karis said, but I think the horse can handle both of you. The others soon woke and they shared a small breakfast. By the second hour of sunlight, they had all mounted. Their detour concluded they made east for Mir. Kalyanera shared her horse, the man slumping in front of her. It was uncomfortable and she did not welcome the extra body heat, but she was determined to endure it. After the first hour, she'd gotten somewhat used to it. What exactly is Mir? She had asked. My city, replied Karis, is a place of peace. If this man makes it there, he will find much healing. They rode towards Mir, the best fortified city in the outlands outside of Novum itself. The walls were of rock and mortar. If any other town boasted the fortune of being fortified, it was with rusted chain-link fencing or scrap metal. The company approached the city and a resounding horn bellowed from within. The townspeople welcomed them in celebration, and Kalyanera had difficulty taking it in. Everything 
from the skin color to dress varied. This was a melting pot, but also a harmonious tapestry of culture. Vivid lavenders, blues, reds, and oranges steamed from fabrics, flowers, and buildings. The place was alive, organic. Servants helped her and the man from her horse. A tall and slender gentleman embraced Karis. He greeted Dorian and Nathan like old friends. Karis led him over as Kalinera unsaddled her pack. He leaned on a cane as they made their way a few steps over. Karis introduced him as Oliver. When Karis identified Kalinera, she didn't do so with any apprehension. Karis had been nothing but graceful. But all the same, Kalinera expected some level of suspicion now that they were in her beloved city. This is Kalianera, a demon, the bane of our existence since she started steering the hearts of good men down the wrong path. But there was no hint of that. Had she been accepted by Karis truly and wholly? Call me Callie, she said to Oliver, shaking his hand. He smiled, but his attention turned to the man. It's a pleasure. And who's this? He asked as two men moved the man to a stretcher. We don't know, said Karis. All will be explained. Karis arranged for the man to be taken to the infirmary and guarded. She then led the others through the winding streets. Traditional hard-packed sand lined some of the thoroughfare, but stone paved some of the others. Foreign smells simultaneously sweet and spicy piqued her hunger. Kalianera, awestruck by the mansion, stood for a moment, mouth gaping at the thing of world's past. It was a building of old wood like an elegant aged tree. She had not seen such architecture since before her fall, and she longed for the days of columns and domed ceilings. They gathered in what appeared to be the living room. Light poured through the stained glass, giving the room a multicolored warm glow. Dark wooded tables and stands accompanied fine, plush seating. Kalianera plopped down on a love seat, sinking into its cushions with a convalescence for which she had longed. Her fingers rubbed the velvety material and she thought she might nap, even though she did not feel tired. Karis called for everyone's attention. Before we get down to business, I believe we should get settled in. Servants will show you to your rooms, where you can leave your things. There is a bathhouse down the way, if you care to go through the trouble. Otherwise, baths will be drawn here. Karis gave a sniff and added, I don't care where you bathe so long as you do it. Karis looked around the room with a warm smile. Afterward, there will be a meal. We've been so busy getting here, we've barely had time to catch up like people who haven't seen each other in 200 years. That's not to mention the new faces. The servants went about helping everyone to their room, but Karis approached Kalianera. Our stranger is not forgotten, she said. I'm having my healers look at him and then take him to the baths where I will help you see to him. You could probably use a little medical attention and would do well to join me. Inside a building of arches and pillars holding up a high ceiling, Karis led her beside a large cistern of steaming water and into a narrow hallway. That, said Karis, pointing behind them, is the public room. There are smaller private rooms usually reserved for those in specific need of their healing properties. Here we are. Their private room contained three small pools, each about six feet long and three feet wide. The man was already in one, laying unconscious, the water coming up to his shoulders and his head laying on a towel on the edge. He was naked save for a single garment covering his manhood. 
The night they had found him, she had seen most of his body, so it was nothing new, but it felt different to see him so refreshed and peaceful while almost naked. The two attendants who had been watching him left the room. If you want to go ahead and get in one of the baths, I think you'll find it's just the thing you need, Karis said. Kalianera hesitated. Just relax, and I'll be with you in a minute. Kalianera removed her clothes. Anything that had been white was yellow from sweating in the desert heat, and they smelled musty. She piled them in a corner with her boots and put a toe in one of the unoccupied pools. It was hot, but not unbearable, and as she slipped her entire body into the steaming water, she felt overcome with relief. The dull thud of pain in her hand and leg wound dissipated. The soreness of battle and sharing a saddle left her muscles. As the heaviness in her chest lifted, she began to breathe in peaceful bliss. Karis faced away, hands working at the man's wounds. Her dress revealed her shoulders in the customary tattooed sigil. After a few minutes, Karis turned her attention to Callie. Her hands were gentle, and whenever she worked at something painful, she would distract Callianera with small talk. If it wasn't for these baths, Kara said, pressing on the bite mark, it might take months for this man to recover. Now he might wake within a week and soon gain some ability. Karis's touch was firm, painful before a numbness spread. Karis lifted her hands, revealing a faint mark on Kalianera's skin where the wound had been. What I can't do, Karis continued, massaging Kalianera's hand, is fix his mind. Let's hope they didn't break him. There, she said, letting Kalianera's hand fall. I'll bring you some soap and you can get cleaned up. I'll have the servants bring you new clothes. There's a shop a couple of blocks away that does your style. We can get your measurements later and have some outfits properly tailored. I don't know what to say, Karis. You've been so kind. I caused so much trouble for you in Chimera. I suspected as much, Kara said, but that's not my realm anymore. This is my world now, and you're here, and I believe you mean to help. I'm sorry all the same. Whatever there has been between us is in the past and is forgiven. Thank you. Karis left and returned with soap, servants trailing her with fresh clothes. One of the men glanced shyly, setting a change of clothes on a dry windowsill. Kalianeris smirked at him and raised an eyebrow. He blanched, turning his head, and helped the other servant pull the Bronton man from the pool. They strained as they lifted him onto a gurney. They wheeled him out, Karis following them with a kind farewell, and leaving Kalianera to finish bathing in privacy. The clothes fit rather well. They were simple and modest, which she liked. Though her days of seduction were over, she liked to flatter her body. The pants fit the curve of her slim waist, and the shirt was not too tight or billowy, draped over her breast and muscular body, complementing her form without exposing too much of it. She put on her boots and found her way back to the mansion. Everyone else had finished bathing and dressing about the same time, and they lounged in the living room in casual conversation. Nathan had brushed his hair and trimmed his beard, looking less wild. In fact, he reminded her of someone. But who? Sitting in a chair, Dorian had discarded his customary trench coat, now wearing clean and casual clothes. 
The rest sported similar attire, more suitable for normal living and not desert travel. A servant offered her a glass of beer and she accepted. It reminded her of some beer she had tried long ago on a mission in France. It took some time, but soon everyone had situated. Karis, Dorian, Liam, Oliver, Nathan, and Callianera all sat in the same room, appearing equally hungry and tired. Well, said Dorian, looking somewhat commanding in a large chair, we all made it, and it seems we picked up a few along the way. Now that we're not so busy, I think it's important that we get on the same page before anything else. While we wait for a meal, shall we begin with Oliver? Oliver was tall and slim, almost lanky, but not awkward. He stood, leaning on his cane, and he spoke. It's hard to know where to start. While Karis was away, I had time to inspect and ready the militia. Commander Mari has done more than efficient job with the soldiers. There are several points on which we most likely have an advantage on Jacob, whatever army he might gather. Also, thanks to Commander Mari, we have a cavalry. Even if Jacob has a cavalry, it is likely he will use horses, which in my opinion are inferior. Second, we have trained fighters. From what I understand, these creatures, the abominations, provide their own set of obstacles, but competence in battle is not one of them. He will surely have us in numbers, but not in skill. Do not mistake me. His numbers far outweigh ours, a problem we'll have to address as we plan. He talked more at length. It was not that he was uninteresting, but rather Callianera found little of it relevant to herself, and her stomach growled. She let her eyes wander the room as she sipped her beer. Liam looked bored and Karis preoccupied. Only Dorian and Nathan gave Oliver their full attention. They exchanged talk about the coming war regarding Jacob's tactics, and before long, supper was announced by a servant. It's about time, Kalinera said, her usual levity returning. A similar conversation continued over the meal, but she was distracted by the lavish food gravy, seitan, and ale to match. What do you think, Callie? A voice asked. She looked up. Nathan had asked her a question. About what? About the man, he said. Oh, she said and paused a moment and thought. This was not the time to tell her story. I don't think we can know anything until he wakes up. And whose side do you think he'll be on? Asked Dorian. Should we keep him under lock and key? From someone who distrusted her as much as Dorian, it was likely a trick question, but she answered with honesty. A man who has suffered at the hands of Jacob's undead is going to wake up ready to kill his saviors? I doubt it. What of the sword? asked Dorian. Give it back, she said. Obviously, Dorian responded. Assuming he won't use it against us, assuming he can even use it. Nathan laughed. Ah, he just keeps it around to fool the ladies. Callie and Nera and Liam were the only ones who gave a chuckle. Not only had she made a similar joke, but had since seen the man naked when they tended his wounds, and it was hard to resist informing Nathan of his error. It's extraordinary light for its size, she commented. That it is, said Dorian with a ponderous look, missing the innuendo. He might have said more, but went back to his dinner. 
If he knew the sword's origins, he might know that Calianera was more involved than he could have guessed. The meal continued with more discussion. Liam described the food in the city and how it was bland and overly healthy. As it turns out, Karis's cuisine was inspired mostly by Asian culinary arts, even if this particular meal was reminiscent of Southern comfort food from the United States. Interestingly, the whole city was vegetarian. After the plates were removed, more talking and planning bored Kalyanera, and she excused herself. Karis's mansion was beautiful. She wandered to the greenhouse gardens, the sunroom, the library. It was in the sunroom that she found the piano. She rubbed her fingers on the ivory key, longing to strike a note, to feel the vibration resonate. Not today.